Well, do take your Bibles and turn to John's Gospel. You can turn anywhere randomly because we're going to be looking at a few references this evening here. Uh, This is the last, this really is honestly the last uh, uh, sermon on John's Gospel. We finished going through the Gospel at number 98, so I had to do 100. Uh, But I was going to do these two anyway, apart from, everybody thinks it's because of the numbers, so it's an even number. But that's not true. I was going to do them anyway. And what we've been doing really in the, what we did last week and are doing this week is we are looking at what John teaches us about the missions of God, plural, the missions of God. Because in many ways, it's through the missions of God that we arrive at a proper knowledge of who God is. At the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, we hear for the very first time God's full name. When the Lord Jesus claims all authority in heaven and earth, and then He tells us to go out and to baptize and to instruct and to go in the name, singular, of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, or to put it properly, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit, the one name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Spirit, God's full name. And God's full name, of course, has been hinted at in the Old Testament. There are pointers towards it, and there's no question that as you read the Old Testament, you read conversations that are going on that indicate some kind of interaction within the Godhead and so on, but it's not clear until the New Testament and where we're confronted by the missions of God. And John's gospel is crucial in grasping that. Uh, In John's gospel, the missions of God are, are indicated by, principally by, the use of the word sent and also by the use of the word to give. So, the sending and the giving. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. As the Father sent me, so send I you. Uh, John 3, 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through Him might be saved. John 15, the Father sent me. So, this, we looked at this last week. The Son is sent on a mission into the world. That mission involves His incarnation, His becoming flesh. It involves His uh, life of obedience. It involves His death on our behalf and His resurrection and so on. But we also find in John's gospel the same language is spoken of the Holy Spirit. He also is sent, and He also is given. So, for example, in John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Or again, He says, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in My name. And then in chapter 16, Jesus says, I will send Him to you. And when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father He will come to you, and so on. So, we have both of these words that are used of the Lord Jesus, used of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is sent, 
and the Spirit is given. In fact, there are several things just from those quotations that I've given you that are very important for us in order to understand Him. He is named there. He is the Holy Spirit. We're told that He proceeds from the Father, that He is sent by the Father and the Son. He is described as the gift of the Father and the Son. And when He comes, He will be with us forever. He's eternal like the Father and the Son. Now, this is all very important for us because when we recite the Nicene Creed particularly, we confess that the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life and that He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And we have to ask the question whenever we recite the Creed whether what we've just recited comes from the Bible or we're reading it into the Bible. So, I want to look at that, uh, the way in which the Holy Spirit appears in John's gospel. And it's very interesting, actually, when you start to talk about the Holy Spirit, that you have to pause for a moment over the name that He's given. St. Augustine says that the Holy Spirit's the only one of the persons of the Godhead who is not given a personal name. And that's true if you think about it for a moment. Uh, His name is shared by the Father and the Son. Think about that for a moment. The name Spirit. Well, the Father and the Son are Spirit because Jesus told told the Samaritan woman, and by the way, ladies, you should be theologians too. Jesus took time to explain two of the most major doctrines to a Samaritan woman and to Martha. To the Samaritan woman, He said, God is Spirit. That's the nature of God. So, whether we think about the Father or the Son or the Spirit, when we think of them separately or together in our minds, we are to consider that God, as He is in Himself, is a Spirit. And we can't even imagine that. Even if you sit down and try to imagine it, I wonder what comes into your head. Some kind of gas. Well, no, a Spirit isn't gas, nor is it anything that's been imagined by Hollywood in any of the in any of the movies, the Ghostbuster movies and so on, which were brilliant, by the way. Uh, but but that's, that, that aside, spirit, pure spirit is invisible, it's immaterial, uh, it's, uh, you, you, it's just beyond our conception. And God as He is in Himself, before there was anything outside of God, is just spirit. He's pure spirit everywhere. There's nothing, nowhere, anywhere (laughs) where God is not. And wherever He is, He's present in all of His presence and power. Wherever He is, He is always there imminently and joyfully and blissfully and personally. The Father, Son, and Spirit sharing the Spirit that is God. So, we have a bit of a problem as we come to think about the Holy Spirit, don't we? Because He is Spirit. And not only is He Spirit, but He's holy. And the Bible tells us all over the place, God is holy. The seraphim cried in in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy 
Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. It is of the nature of God that he is holy. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And so the Lord Jesus in John chapter 17, when he's praying to his Father, prays to his Father, Holy Father. When when the promise of the coming of Christ is given uh, in Luke's gospel, if we can just kind of move out of John just for a nanosecond, uh, the angel promises to Mary that the holy thing that has been conceived within her is the Son of God. And the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. So holiness belongs to the entire Godhead. And when we think of the word holy, we think of another, it's part of a word group that we're familiar with or should be familiar with. We, We think of the word saint or the word to sanctify or the word sanctification. All of that is part of the word group holy. And we discover in John's gospel, for example, that the Father and the Son both sanctify things. So, for example, Jesus prays to the Father about His apostles, sanctify them, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. We then hear the Lord Jesus say about Himself as He gets ready to go to the cross and consecrate Himself as a priest and as the sacrifice for their sakes, I sanctify myself. And yet we read also that the Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies. He, we often think about the work of the Spirit as that of making us holy. He is a Spirit of holiness because He comes into our lives in order that He might re, reconstruct us into the image and likeness of the Lord Jesus. It's so wonderful, isn't it? The Holy Spirit. So, it's not a personal name, and yet He is called, distinguished by the name, the Holy Spirit of God. So, I think if we think about that, we can think about the nature of the Holy Spirit and the origin and the mission of the Spirit. We can think about the nature of the Spirit then. We've already seen that. We've paused on that for a moment, that He is both holy and Spirit. And although these are common to all the divine persons, they are particularly His description. When Jesus says that God is Spirit, He's saying, and we can apply this to the Holy Spirit, that, he, that God is incorporeal. There, there are no parts. There, there is nothing… It's not a glob or a gas or anything like that. There is nothing material about God, nothing material about God. We're saying that there is absolute power. The same word for spirit in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, two different words, are used of strong, mighty winds, hurricane winds, strong, might, absolute power. When we think of spirit, we think of something that is everywhere present. Sometimes the air is, is used as an, an analogy of the spirit, and the air is everywhere. We can't see the air, but it's everywhere. We know that because everywhere we go on our planet, there's stuff to breathe because the air is everywhere. And that's an analogy of what the Spirit is. You can't see the air, but it's there all the time and everywhere. And that's used as an analogy to point to the work of the Spirit who is everywhere, wherever we go. And it is, the Spirit is irresistible. Uh, He is God. 
God the irresistible. So, in John chapter 3, for example, when Jesus has this conversation with uh, this man Nicodemus, he uses the illustration of the wind. When he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, he says, the wind, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going to go, you feel it when it's there, you, you know its impact and its power, you see its, its effects, but you can't hold on to it, you can't grasp it, you can't get your arms around it. The wind is the wind is the wind. And the Spirit of God, Jesus says, is like that, invisible, incorporeal, irresistible, the Spirit of God. I think the second thing we can say about the nature of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel is that the Holy Spirit is love, love in His person. He is love in person. And you see that in John 14, you see it in John 16 as you hear the, the Son talk about the love that, the, that binds the Father and the Son together. You go to John 17, you, you, you hear uh, the Lord Jesus praying for His church and he talks about the love with which you have loved me, and the love with which God the Father loves the church, and that love with which the, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father and the Son love us is the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us it's the Holy Spirit who pours love into our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit from whence love comes. The fruit of the Spirit is Number one, love. Wherever He is, there is love. He is, the, he is the love that moves from Father to Son. He, he is love. When we say God is love, we're thinking of the Spirit, and we're thinking of His work in the lives of the believer. He is love. And He is life. In John, the Holy Spirit delivers eternal life to us. You take the language of John chapter 16. He, the Spirit, will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, He will take what is mine and declare it to you. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has already told them that what the Father does, He does that the Father gives life and the Son gives life, that the Father has honor and the Son has equivalent. The same honor goes to the Son. He's already said the Father has life in Himself, and He's granted to the Son to have life in Himself. And now He says to us, whatever is mine, He will take and give it to you. He will give you life. He will bring life to you. What the Father has by nature, the Son has by nature, and from the Father and the Son, the Spirit has by nature and gives that to us. The Father is God, and He is so eternally. The Son is God and has all that the Father has, and the Father and the Son are co-eternal and co-equal, and the Spirit has what is the Son's. All that the Father has is mine. He will take what is mine, because the Spirit brings to us, delivers to us what He gets, as it were, from the Father and the Son. 
So when Jesus says, all of the Father has is mine, he's speaking of a divine nature. The Spirit will take what is mine. Divine nature. The Son has life in himself. The Spirit will take what is mine, and he will bring it to bear on you. And this life is what the Spirit has from the Father and the Son. Back in John chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 63, we read this, it is the Spirit that gives life. And that life that He gives is the life of the Son and the life of the Father. It's the life of the Trinity, the life they share together. That's the life, the life of God the Father through God the Son by God the Holy Spirit. And it's delivered to you and me. And what about the origin of the Spirit? I don't want to spend too much time on this, but in John's Gospel, we read, we read that right at the very beginning in, in, in that list of readings that I gave you, John 15, verse 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. So, there's a difference. The Son is birthed by the Father, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father. And we say in the addition to the creed, and from the Son, proceeds from the Son. And because He's the Spirit, the mighty breath of God, in John's gospel, when Jesus gathers His disciples round Him on one of the last evenings that He was to spend with them, and He has been teaching them that the Spirit's going to come, and the Spirit will guide them into truth, and will give them understanding, and will teach them heavenly things. We're told that He breathed the Spirit upon them. The Spirit is spirated. He's breathed out of God. He is the breath of God, the mighty wind and breath of God. And He's breathed out by the Father and breathed out by the Son, and He comes to visit us in a mighty way. There are many references to this in the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, for example. It's the mighty breath of God that is breathed by the Word of God and begins to make all those dead corpses. You remember, Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones. And it's the mighty breath of God, the Spirit of God, that is breathed over those bones and brings the bones together and then puts flesh on the bones and then puts life in the flesh. He is the mighty life giver. Now, we read, we read earlier from John chapter 3, and actually that's part of a section that runs from John chapter 2 verse 23 through to verse, chapter 3 verse 21. And we could call this particular discourse the fundamental discourse, teaching block, in the entire gospel of John. It's absolutely fundamental. There's a man called Nick, Nicodemus is his full name, who comes looking for Jesus, and we're told that he had put some form of faith in Jesus. He believed in Jesus because of the things Jesus did, the signs that Jesus performed. But we're told at the end of chapter 2 of John's gospel, just before this guy arrives, that Jesus did not put his trust in him. Jesus did not entrust himself to people who only believed in him for his signs' sake. 
Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And in John's gospel, that is an indicator that here is a man who is still in the dark. He has not been illuminated by the Holy Spirit. He believes in Jesus, he says, but it's only very superficially. Because those who really believe in Jesus believe that Jesus is God. This man did not believe that Jesus was God. So he comes to him in the dark, and Jesus speaks to him about the Holy Spirit. Because without the work of the Holy Spirit, we're all in the dark. Without the Holy Spirit working within us, we cannot grasp spiritual realities. Jesus talks to this man, and in the bit we didn't read, the next little section, He says to this man, I've come to talk to you about heavenly things, the things belonging to God. But you don't understand heavenly things. You're a teacher in Israel. You know the Bible back to front and inside out. You can probably cite most of it off by heart. You've studied it all your life. You're a master of Scripture within Israel. You're one of the great theological teachers of the church of the Jews, but you don't understand spiritual things. Your your mind has not been opened by the Holy Spirit to grasp. You're still in the dark. And Jesus teaches this man. He says, you know, that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. You need to be born again. You need to be recreated by the Spirit because you only are spiritual when you're made alive by the Holy Spirit that comes from God. And the very language he uses there is the language drawn from Ezekiel and that valley of dry bones. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? St. Augustine said, those who are born of the Spirit are lovers of the kingdom of heaven, are admirers of Christ, they long for eternal life, and they worship God freely. They come to the light, and when they come to the light, they come to Christ. You can always tell where the Holy Spirit is present, where He's active, where He's working, because people come to Christ. People love the Lord Jesus. People look to the Lord Jesus for their salvation. And Jesus doesn't trust Himself to anybody else than those. He does not entrust Himself to anyone else but those who have humbled themselves and who by grace come to Him on His terms to receive His cleansing to which baptism points, and who see what the Spirit enables them to see, that is, that Jesus is Lord. That is, that He is God the Lord. That He is the Lord Messiah. Now, how does the Spirit accomplish this task? Well, it's an internal work, yes, but He uses means. He uses means to accomplish this work of inner renewal within us. This inbreaking of the new birth, which is the new age, where God creates new people by first resurrecting them from spiritual death to spiritual life, and then later in the future, resurrecting them physically to physical and eternal life. This is what he, how it's put. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus is saying the Spirit uses my words to bring life 
into people's hearts to make people alive spiritually. The Word of God is the means the Spirit uses. It's His instrument, His tool, by which He recreates people and breathes life into people. The Word of God and the sacraments, especially the Lord's Supper, is a means that He uses to, to, to keep our spiritual life going, to keep it refreshed over and over again as we come to the supper. So as we, as we feed on Christ in our hearts by faith, we are nourished by the Spirit. We're built up by the Spirit. He makes us strong by His power. The mighty Spirit of God is absolutely crucial in, in our lives. Another image that Jesus uses, and He uses it in John chapter 7, is that of water, the water of life. And the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood out and cried out, anyone who thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John adds this comment, now this He said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Spirit brings life. It's the Spirit who enables us to see Jesus is Lord. And without the Spirit, these heavenly things of which Jesus speaks to Nicodemus would be unknown and unseen by us. We remain unable to receive the testimony without the help of the Spirit. And without the help of the Spirit, scriptural word the Spirit has given to us. Without the scriptural word that is the Holy Spirit's gift to us, we cannot hear the voice of the Spirit. Without the birthing work of the Spirit in our hearts, or the rebirthing work, we cannot be humbled and we cannot receive the teaching about the Son. The reason why Nicodemus could not believe the teaching that Jesus gave him about the Son of Man being lifted up on the cross, that we might have eternal life, was because he was still dead in his sin and blind to the truth without the work of the Holy Spirit. But the result of the Spirit's work is that people come to the light. They come to Christ. They receive the cleansing and the new life the Spirit gives. In fact, the principal benefit of the Son of God being crucified and then being raised from the dead and now being seated in heaven is that the Spirit has come to bring these gifts to us. The gift of faith is given by the Holy Spirit. The gift of seeing the kingdom of God, which Nicodemus could not do, we get to do because we've received the Holy Spirit. So the Father, in the Scripture, the Father can only be known through the Son, and only where the Spirit of God is working can people see the Son and come to Him and confess Jesus is Lord and have access through the Son to the Father. The chief gift of the Spirit that He gives to people tonight, if you want to know whether you have the gift of the Spirit, the number one Charism, that is the number one gift that He gives to us, 
is the ability to confess with our hearts, Jesus is Lord. That's where He is most present. The gift of the Spirit gives us everything. The gift of the Spirit gives us a proper knowledge of the Trinity. He gives us freedom in Christ to love God and serve our neighbor. He enables us by giving us words to confess the Trinity and the gospel. He gives us words to pray, and when we can't pray, He prays in words that God alone knows and understands. What a great gift God has given us in the Holy Spirit of truth. And the Spirit gives us the Bible. The, the Scripture, the, 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 the Lord Jesus, we did spend time on this, so I won't spend much more time on it tonight, but when we were looking at uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and we saw the Lord Jesus preparing the apostles particularly, actually the apostles only, for the future, He promises them that all that He's taught them will be brought to their memory by the Holy Spirit. When I go, I'll send another helper to you. Now, that word help is interesting. In the Bible, God is our helper. In the Old Testament, God is our helper. While He was here on earth, the Lord Jesus was our helper. And now that the Lord Jesus is in heaven, He's still helping us. Though His task and role now is not at what it was when He was here with the disciples, His task and role now is to be our helper in heaven by His presence there, pleading our cause, and ensuring God's protection over us. But the Holy Spirit comes as another helper to be with us forever, Jesus says. And when He uses that word another, He doesn't mean another of a different kind. We have friends, actually they're friends of our American daughter in northern New Jersey. And they're very good friends, which I like to say they're my friends too. But anyway, they're very good friends, and, and uh, they have a Bentley, which costs about 500000 you know, maybe you have one, you haven't told me. Bentley is a very nice car. When you've rode in a Bentley, riding in anything else afterwards is <laughs> a challenge. Uh, so, I mean, I could say to them, you know, I tell you what, why don't you give me your car and I'll give you my car? So, not another car. It's a car. It's got four wheels just like the Bentley has. It's got seats in it just like the Bentley has. It goes just like the Bentley does. Better mileage, perhaps, than the Bentley has. But my car is another of a different kind than the Bentley, <laughs> very much so. The only way, really, the only way to have an, another, in the way that the word is used in the gospel, another is another of the same kind is to get another Bentley, exactly identical. And when Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will be another helper. He's going to be another of the same kind. I've been here, God with you. When He comes, He will be God with you. Only instead of God being in one place because it's in flesh, he will be with you. He will come as the Holy Spirit 
not in flesh so that He's limited in one place in the flesh. He will be with you wherever you are all the time, forever, every one of you, all the, every day and in every place. That's a great thing. It's like it is having, it is having Jesus with you. He is the Spirit of Jesus. It's having Father with you. He is the Spirit of the Father. And wherever you are, you have the Spirit of glory and of God with you, as Peter puts it in his letter. Isn't that amazing? The Spirit is with you wherever you are. And one of the gifts that you have been given by the Spirit who is with you forever is the Holy Scripture. He has sanctified it Himself by His, by his own power. He has sanctified Holy Spirit. This is how you hear the Spirit. The Lord Jesus, when He came in flesh, of course, had a voice. He spoke. They heard Him. Because in flesh, in our human frame, He did what we do, and we talk. And He spoke and talked. And they heard His voice. The Holy Spirit did not become incarnate. The Holy Spirit does not have a body and a voice. This is His voice. This is His speech. And the interesting thing is that He likes us to do what He does. He is breathed out by the Son and by the Father. As Jesus breathed out the Spirit over those disciples, the way He prefers is not that we read it. He doesn't mind us reading it. But He particularly wants the, the Word of God to be read and preached What's happening when it's read and preached? It is being breathed out over people. And that's the reason you sit so far back, because you know if you were sitting any near, you'd also get sprayed as well as breathed over. But that's, in other words, it's a kind of analogy of what the Holy Spirit is doing. The breath of God works through this Word that He's given. He is being heard wherever the Word of God is read and preached. He, the one who likes to keep in the background, the one who is the other directed member of the Trinity, is heard. His voice is heard. Because he, he reminded these apostles of everything that Jesus had said. He led them into all the truth, all the things Jesus didn't get around to teaching them. He taught them and He finalized it, and He taught them things to come. And the whole of the Old Testament is breathed by the Spirit, so that the New Testament people can say, and the Spirit said, and the Spirit said, through David, and so on. It's His voice that's heard. And the Spirit is totally other-directed. He wants to point our attention away from Himself, to the Lord Jesus. The most Spirit-filled communities are communities that are in love with Jesus, that adore Him, that worship Him as God, that acknowledge Him to be Lord, head of the church, Lord of our lives. That's where the Holy Spirit's most comfortable, where, his, where He's being heard, and where he's being heard talking about the Lord Jesus. He's been called the shy member of the Trinity. 
Not sure that that's a good analogy to use, but he certainly is other-centered. He is focused upon glorifying the Son. In John 14, I think it is, when the promise is being made of the coming of the, the Holy Spirit, if you read the passage, you'll find that Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come and He will make His home with you. And then Jesus goes on to say, and I will come and make my home with you. And then Jesus says, the Father and I will come and make our home with you. We've been talking about the inseparable operations of the Trinity. They do everything together. Even where one of them is standing out and he is doing something that is his particular thing in the mission of God here, in creaturely reality. All of God is involved in that. And that's what Jesus is saying there in John 14. All of God is involved. When the Spirit comes to move into your heart, all of God comes to live in your heart, to be with you, and to strengthen you. Brothers and sisters, we have a great God. God has been very gracious in showing us an inside view of Himself through the missions of the Son and the Spirit. Now, there's more that can be said, but we're going to leave it there. And in the goodness of God, perhaps next week, we'll move on to the book of Daniel, something light. <laughs> Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, we worship You. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank You for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the great gift of our Savior, the risen Savior, He who is with us, our Helper. Uh, he helps us by being right there. When we begin to wobble in our Christian life, there He is by our, by our side. When we don't know what to do, He reminds us. He recalls to our mind, memory, words of Scripture, things He said. And He constantly loves to point us to Jesus. May Your Holy Spirit work among us tonight, we pray, and bless His own Word to all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.